Good to see you, and thank you for being here this morning as we kick off a brand new series called Love Is. And this is a series all about relationships. And, and the reason we're doing a series about relationships is because pretty good chance, like me, a couple of you have had or maybe are having relational conflict. Anybody ever had any kind of conflict in a relationship? Friend, you're a married couple and you fought none of this today. We, elbows, rest them by your side. Uh, you, you've had conflict, parents, or as a child. Uh, it's just a part of life. It's just a part of life. And the reality is if, if we get relationships right or we begin to get them right in our lives, life goes a lot better. But so often we don't get them right. And so often, even though sometimes we know the right thing to do, we don't do it. Or, or we're just in a pattern, a vicious cycle that just destroys us. And so this is a series about relationships, about God, about others, about you and about getting those things right. And, and I want to just give a disclaimer. This morning is an introduction. It's an introduction to what we're going to be talking about for five weeks after today. We're sort of setting the context for how we'll be talking about this. Uh, I, I won't answer all of your questions today or the rest of the series. But hopefully we'll give a context that we can begin to think differently about relationships. And so we're going to start off with a little quiz. I need your interaction in here. Fireside room, I need you as well. But when, when we think about love, we think about the concept of love. In our society, there's lots of different uh, ways of looking at love. Just look at our songs to start with. So let's to, do a little name that song kind of thing. I'll give you a lyric. Tell me the band and the title of the song. This is a softball. This is easy. Something in the way she moves me. Like no other lover. Something in the way she woos me. Who's the band? The Beatles. What's the song? Something. Hey, 50%'s not bad. You'd be doing good if you played for the angels with that. Um, next lyric. Without you, there'd be no sun in my sky. There would be no love in my life. There'd be no world left for me. And I, baby, I don't know what I would do. Anybody? How do I live without you? But Leanne rhymes for you country fans, I'm sorry. That's Whitney. That's a Whitney song. Whitney Houston. Leanne rhymes just did her version of that. But I have a little, this happened last night. I have a little something for you country fans as well. Here's a good country love song. You ready? Name that song. He never says I need a new attitude. Him and my sister ain't always in a feud. When I leave the seat up, he don't think that's rude. I want you to love me like my dog does, baby. I want you to love me like my dog does, baby. Now there's a quality love song. There's country music at its best for you, right? It's called Like My Dog. <laughs> Billy Currington. Did anybody know that? Oh yeah, there's hardcore country fans. Movies are famous for romantic lines, for just that one line that captures our attention. Again, a softball to start off with, but, well, aren't you the sweetest space toy I ever met? What movie is that from? Toy Story 2, Jesse to Buzz. Here's a tougher one. You make me want to be a better man. Jack Nicholson. What's the movie? As good as it gets, you had me at hello. Jerry Maguire, and the last one, 
I wanted it to be you. You've got mail. Good job. You guys watch way too many movies. Holy cow. You should read your Bible once in a while. Uh, speaking of which, take your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So here's the idea. Like, like the topic of love, love songs, movie lines, all of that, it's pervasive in our culture. The reality is it's a huge part of our lives. And whether that's we're married or whether that's we've got friends or, or family members and we're trying to navigate what it means to live in love, what it means to, to continue to cultivate loving relationships, it's an important part of our life. More important than I want you to love me like my dog loves me, baby. It's not that simple. It's so complicated. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that love section of Scripture that some of us had quoted at our wedding. And some of us have plaques in our homes with these words of it. And it's one of those popular ways of talking about love that the Bible talks about. But there's a context to this that we, we very often miss 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 specifically are talking about the issues of spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, you can see that it, it, there's this discussion that Paul writes about what spiritual gifts are, why they've been given, the variety and the different types of gift, and how they unite us and make us better. Chapter 14 talks about spiritual gifts and this idea of how the proper use of the gifts will help the body of Christ, the church. And sandwiched in between those two chapters is a chapter on love in the context of spiritual gifts. Because it's not just, you know, what is your gift? How do you use it? It's not just that. Paul says there's, there's something else. So he ends chapter 12 by saying something like this. I want to show you the most excellent way. Sounds like something from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He says, I want to show you the most excellent way of how to live, how to experience life. And then he launches into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. And Paul says this. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I talk with these tongues of men or tongues of angels, is this idea that it could be referring to spiritual gifts, like the gift of tongues, because that's a part of this discussion. Or it could be this eloquent and excellent speech. Or it could be this, you're just wise and you show it by the way that you talk. And Paul says, that's great, that's good. But if you do those things and you don't have love, it's like clanging cymbals. It's like a resounding gong. Has anybody, when you were young, ever had one of those little monkeys with the cymbals on its hands and it's just, ching, ching, ching? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It says it's like that. It's really pointless. That if you have all of this ability to, to speak and you have some excellent uh, eloquence and, and, and you can just rattle off spiritual truths and talk about them so so much that you impress other people, but you do so without love. Your voice is like a clanging cymbal. It doesn't matter. It's just noise. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
He says, you, you, you may have the gift of prophecy and you understand spiritual truths and spiritual mysteries and you have wisdom and understanding and knowledge and doctrinally you're pure and you theologically have all these good answers based off of scripture, but you don't have love, you're nothing. That all the smart and all the intellect and all the wisdom and understanding in the world in your head If it doesn't affect your heart, it's worthless. It doesn't matter. Verse 3, he says, If I give all that I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can be generous, and you can write the check, and you can give it, and it's sacrificial. Or, or you can give your body to, to serve others, to make a difference, and you're living sacrificially. But guess what he says? You, you can do that stuff without love being the motivating factor. I mean, people write checks all the time, not motivated by love. I mean, people write checks to get a name for themselves, to get attention, just, just to feel better about themselves because they feel guilty, so they write that in the hand. Or people serve and sacrifice. But Paul says if those things aren't motivated by love, there's no gain involved. And so Paul is calling us to a more excellent, a most excellent way. And he's saying, I want you to live with this heart that's motivated by love, that's compelled by love, that, that understands, that has received love, but then also can... Give love. And what Paul is saying, which may be a shock to some of you, that it's possible to be a part of a church, it's possible to try to be following God and be loveless, be heartless in some way. And there's this church in Corinth that had a reputation for superficially doing the right thing, but inwardly the heart was in the wrong place. I know there couldn't be a church like that in America in in this day and age, but in Corinth it was happening. And Paul says, I want you to watch out. I don't want you to just superficially try to obey. I want you to understand this cuts to the very heart of what it means to follow Christ, to what it means to be a church on mission for Christ. Pay attention. Pay attention, Paul says, because if you're just doing these things without love, you're just a clinging symbol or it's profiting nothing. So just watch out. And then Paul begins to move in this next section, uh, not to give us a definition of love, but to talk about what love looks like in action. That's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. We're not trying and attempting to give a simple definition of love. We're trying to see love in action. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 every week. We're going to look in the, the Gospel of John to see how Jesus modeled some of these virtues for us week after week after week. Not give a definition, but here's the reality. We like definitions, and we try to wrestle with definitions, but my pushback is this. If we try to define love, it still feels empty. So I went online and did research trying to see how does our society define love, and so I found a few different definitions. Uh, Webster's Dictionary had this definition. Love, as as a noun, is a strong affection for another, an attraction That doesn't really help me. Does that help you? Uh, The verb form of love, to hold dear, to like or desire actively, to feel affection or experience desire. Like, Oh, so love is a feeling? That's what it sounds like. It's it's trying to make it. That love is a feeling? No. 
I don't always recommend looking at the Urban Dictionary for your definitions. But I looked at the Urban Dictionary and they actually had some, some interesting things. It defined love as the most spectacular, indescribable, deep, euphoric feeling for someone. Really. So what happens when that feeling is not euphoric? says, love is an incredibly powerful word. When you're in love, you always want to be together. And when you're not, you're thinking about being together because you need that person. And without them, your life is incomplete. Really? Is that what love is? Is love just so fragile, so superficial like that? See, Paul goes on not to give us a technical definition of love, but to say this is what love looks like in action. So look at that first little bit of verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, I'll give you a glimpse of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And let's just talk about these first two characteristics of love. First of all, love is patient. Now some of you are already like, ooh, I don't like this one. Can we hurry up through this one? I would rather talk about something else than patience. Anything but patience. Patience here in Scripture could be defined as the opposite of anger. Long-suffering is another word that is used. It's his ability to endure, this ability to go through. The, the reality is in Scripture, the word for patience is almost exclusively used for how we interact with people. Not circumstances. So it's a relational word that we have patience with with one another. It's, It's used of the person who, even though they may be wronged and have in their power the ability to retaliate, they don't. The patient person is the person who someone says something and you want to get them back and you want to respond, but instead you hold your tongue. Or somebody offends you with what they do and, and you're ready to lash out, but instead you just say, all right. Gonna let that one go by. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're ready to. And the patient person just let it go. Let it go. You have in your power and ability to retaliate. You have in your power ability to lash back out. But the patient person suffers long, puts up with more, endures. Uh, what, what we know by even this very phrase. Of love is patient. And we know by experience is that love is messy. Love is up and love is down. It's not just a feeling of euphoric attraction. Love endures times that are hard. And love isn't always pretty, but the truth is love is patient. That's what the Bible calls us to. This idea of of a love that endures. Not a love that is on the whim of my emotions or my feelings, but that love endures. What's the opposite of love being patient? It's a love that piles on shame and guilt. But love that is patient puts up, endures, perseveres. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. But secondly, Paul says love is kind. Kindness is sort of the counterpart to being patient. It's sort of the reactive, proactive. It's the other side of the coin. Kind, here in Scripture, this word kindness, kind is useful, serving, gracious. It not only feels generous, but it acts generously as well. 
If you want to just do a measure, a reading of your level of kindness, if love is kind in your life, I think the best place to start is at home. If you're in here and you're married, are you kind to your spouse? Are you kind to your children or to your parents? Are you kind to those who are closest to you? Because here's the reality. The the rubber hits the road on this thing. Love is patient. Love is kind. No more obvious in our lives than at home. And isn't that interesting? The people that we love the most, the people that are the closest to us, are very often the people we are the most impatient and the most unkind towards. I mean, there's no one on the face of this earth that I apologize or say I'm sorry to more than those four people who live in my house with me. And I probably could say it infinitely more times to them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It begins at home. This past Monday, Labor Day, we were down at the beach, and there's, there's a whole bunch of people on the beach. And all of a sudden, a couple hours into our time there, we hear this noise. And there's somebody screaming, and we're like, what in the world is that? 50 yards down the beach. I mean, 50 yards. Waves are crashing. Wind is blowing. We hear this man yelling. What is this guy doing? Finally, we we locate where he's at. And there's this guy in the face of his probably three or four-year-old screaming at this kid, just lighting him up. And I don't know what he was even saying. You couldn't understand every word, but just screaming at him. And then we hear him screaming, why are you crying? And he's this far from his kid screaming, why are you crying? And everybody on the beach, because you're yelling. It's obvious why he's crying. I felt so sorry for that kid. But you know also what I thought in that moment? I don't know if you're like me. I thought, I wonder what I sound like when I get mad at my children. Oh, God help me. I hope it's not like that. But, but some of us, when we hear phrases like, love is patient, love is kind, we automatically slip into this gear where we're like, I'm just not a patient person. I think I'll pass on that. Can I have a mulligan? Or love is kind. Oof, I'm not sure that's my spiritual gift. Do I have to do that? And, and we wrestle with like, is that something that I've even got in me? Because I'm not sure I've got the, enough patience. I'm not sure I've got enough of this kindness. And, and I think it's this reality that we need to understand. What Paul is calling us to in this passage, in a context of spiritual gifts, in a context of what God gives us, he's calling us to go beyond what we can do on our own. He's calling us to go beyond what our personality or our own abilities or inabilities would enable us to do. It's like this. We're at the beach the other day again, and and my children are trying to, to learn how to boogie board. Anybody boogie board before? So just, I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about. All right. So you know, like when you get on the boogie board and there's no waves and it's just a little bit of calm water, like everything's harder. Like balance is hard. And so the kids are trying to figure out how do I get on this thing and not flip one way or the other, or go too far forward, too far back. They're trying to kick and go forward. They just, they're having a hard time. They can barely make it anywhere. And so they get a little frustrated just trying to get all that together. But then a wave comes. Right, And all you have to do is sort of launch into the wave. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at them like, hey, they look like they've been doing this a while. Like They catch the wave, the movement of the wave, the current, the power sort of sweeps them up. And they're able to ride on the boogie board. 
I think in a way Paul is saying it's, it's not that you need to just muster up patience. It's not that you just need to stand there and say, I need to be more patient. I need to be nice. He's saying if you, if you understand this context of what God offers, what God supplies, God will begin to work in you this ability to be patient. And yes, you have some responsibility and you have to practice it, but God will begin to stir in you this supernatural ability that love is patient. Doesn't have to respond to circumstances immediately based off of my emotion. Love is kind. You don't have to treat others just like you innately want to treat them. Love is kind. You can discover what God is doing, what Christ has done, and begin to express those. He's calling us to live beyond ourselves. Love is living beyond ourselves. And so Paul begins to to point us to this in 1 Corinthians. We'll we'll jump around to a few passages to see uh, something, but here's what the Bible is telling us. If, If we begin to live like this, understand this love, this love, revolutionizes our lives. It transforms our relationships. But it's rooted somewhere, and so let's, let's, let's look at that. First John uh, chapter 4 talks about this idea that the biblical definition of love is rooted in who God is. The very character of God, we're told in First John and other places, is this. God is love. God is love. That may be the most simple definition of love the Bible has to offer. It may be the most simple definition the Bible has to offer of who God is. God is love. 1 John 4 says this. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so we know, verse 16 says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We know it. We rely on it. He means we've received it. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. If this is true, and we believe that it is, it brings everything into a new perspective. It explains the reason God created. It explains that how he is love, why he wants to express love. And see, the problem is we have this way of imposing our human understanding, our human experiences of love, of relationships, and saying, well, then God must be whatever. And so based off of the home that we grew up in, we have this construct of what love is supposed to be. Or based off of relationships, the hurts, the pains, the good, and the bad, we have this way of trying to define, well, this must be what love is, and projecting it on God. Where Scripture says, no, 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 back up for a moment. Let God be the example. God is love. And let him bring definition to every other relationship. Let him be the model. Let him be the example, not our experiences. And so, John writing here in 1 John says, you need a paradigm shift. The paradigm shift here in relationships, is it's not just as simple as love each other. It, there's, a, there's a foundation, there's a root, and here's the root. You've got to get this. God is love. 
Can you just say that with me? Say, God is love. One more time. God is love. If that is true, it changes the way that we relate to others. It changes the way that we relate to God. Because some of us have this idea that that God is mean, that God is out to get us, that God is, is just vengeful. And he's keeping track of our good and our bad. But, but at the core, the definition of who the God of Scripture is, is more than anything, this God is love. And if that is true, it changes the way that we approach him. It changes the way that we interact with him. God is love. And if that's true, then there has to be some nuances to how he expresses his love. And there are, so let me just give you a couple. First of all, God's love is patient. God's love is patient. We see this throughout Scripture. I mean, in the Old Testament, you can see this time after time that God's people rebel. He's revealed himself to them. He's 